0: And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Chronicles, the Old Testament book of Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles and chapter number 20. If you're looking in that, that is part of the historical books. We have the first of all, the first books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, <laughs> Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then we come to the historical books of Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, and 2 Chronicles. And we find our way to the book of 2 Chronicles and chapter number 20. 2 Chronicles and chapter number 20. Now we're in a little mini-series still talking about our theme for this year that the joy of the Lord is your strength. And We took some time this morning to explain where the joy of the Lord came from. With that same idea, let's look at an actual historical event. This isn't a mythology, this isn't a nice Aesop's fable. This is an historical event that occurred where this idea, this principle, was put into action and God was able to work. And so if you don't mind, let's look at this together, this historical event in the book of Second Chronicles, starting at verse number one. Second Chronicles chapter 20, 2nd Chronicles chapter 20, and verse 1. <clears throat> and it came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon, and with them other besides Ammonites, came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side of Syria. And behold, they be in Hazarán Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem, and the court of the Lord before the new court, and said, O Lord God of our fathers, art thou not God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thy hand is there not and might so that none is able to withstand thee. Art not thou our God who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel and gavest it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? And they dwell therein and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name saying, If when evil cometh upon us as a sword judgment or pestilence or famine we stand before this house and in thy presence for thy name is in this house and cry unto thee in our affliction then thou will hear and help. And now behold the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt but they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold I say how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession which thou hast given us to inherit. O oh, our God will thou not judge them For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us, neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Then came to Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Matanah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. And he said, Hearken ye all Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by the reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow Go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and ye shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. And ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not. Nor be dismayed, tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshipping the Lord. And the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korites, stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. And they rose early in the morning. And went forth unto the wilderness of Toka, And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord. And that should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army, and to say, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah. And they were smitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, utterly to slay and destroy them. And when they made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, every one helped to destroy another. And when Judah came towards the watch in the wilderness, they looked unto the multitude, and behold, they were dead bodies fallen to the earth. And none escaped. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil of them, they found among them in abundance both of riches with the dead bodies and precious jewels, which they had stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. And they were three days in gathering of the spoil. It was so much. And on the fourth day they assembled themselves in the valley of Barakah. For there they blessed the Lord. Therefore the name of the same place was called the valley of Baraka. Unto this day, and they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem, and Jehoshaphat in the forefront of them to go again to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them to rejoice over their enemies. And they came to Jerusalem with psalteries and harps and trumpets under the house of the Lord, and the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they had heard that the Lord fought against the enemies of Israel. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 2 Chronicles? The book of 2 Chronicles chapter number 20, and I would like for you to mark the phrase that we find in verse number 15. The book of 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 15, towards the end of the verse, notice the phrase, for the battle is not yours. The battle is not yours yours. And with the Lord's help, I'd like to preach this message from, this, from the Bible passage here, this historical event. The battle is not yours. The battle is not yours. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. Thank you so much that we can trust you. Thank you that we can depend upon you. And we're asking that you would teach us this principle of trusting in you. Teach us what it means to be looking to you by faith, to let you fight the battle for us. I'm asking that you would just help us to learn what it is to have joy in you, knowing that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Again, just fill me with your precious spirit. Lord, this is such a familiar passage to me that there's a temptation of preaching this in my own flesh, and my own strength, and that cannot get it done. That will not be a help. So once again, I'm saying, fill me with your spirit. You get the own, your own work accomplished through your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In the book of Second Chronicles, chapter number 20, a fearful thing has occurred. We know that at this time the kingdom of Israel has been split into two. The northern kingdom of Syria and the southern kingdom of Judah. Well at this time the northern kingdom of Syria has been taken away. It's been destroyed. It is no more. And so only the inhabitants of Jerusalem and Judah is left. The southern kingdom remains. Now with the northern border, no one there. They've been taken away. The other enemies on the other side of the Jordan River, if you're familiar with your Bible map on the, s- on the back, you would know that you would have the kingdom of Israel, or in this case Judah, lies in between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River. On the other side of the Jordan River are going to be three kingdoms going from <laughs> north to south that cover the entire range of the Jordan River. On the top of it, you would have the country of Ammon. The country of Ammon. Underneath that, you would have the country of Moab. And on the southern part of that, right across from the Dead Sea, you would have the country of Edom. Now, all three of these are the perennial enemies of Israel. However, if you might remember, as the children of Israel were crossing into um, the promise, um, the wilderness wanderings to the promised land, they had to cross each of these three kingdoms. But God would not allow the children of Israel to fight against them or destroy them because they were relatives of the Hebrew people. We know that Edom came from Esau, Jacob's twin brother. And this is the inhabitants of Esau, which is Edom. We know that Lot had a horrible night of several nights of sin. And because he was backslidden, the result of that incident had produced two children of Ammon and Moab, and these were countries that were developed from those people. And so of course Lot was the the nephew of Abraham, and so these countries are actually related to the Hebrew people. And because of the promises God had made to Abraham, God had ordered Israel not to harm them. However, the other guys did not get the message. And there were times that they would kept plaguing and harassing and disturbing the country of Judah. Well, what made this time different is all three of these countries banded together. For the first time, you have these three enemy nations joining together to fight against one small country of Judah. You have the country of Ammon, the country of Moab, the country of Edom joining together. They have agreed together. They said, I don't like you, you don't like me, but we hate them more. And let's go destroy them. And so these three countries have joined together. They're going to fight against Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. And with the desire to destroy and to wipe off Judah off the map. Now how would you like to hear your three biggest enemies have joined together and they're planning on destroying your country. And you know that they have the firepower to do so. You know that you only have limited defenses and there's nothing you can do about it. Wouldn't that be a cause of concern? That would be a very cause of concern. This is a battle that they cannot win, Do they? nor do they have any hope of winning. And so what is their response? Do they get mad? What is their response? Do they try to hire out more mercenaries? What do they do? They go to the Lord in prayer. They go to God and they begin to pray. And they begin to call upon the promises of God. They begin to trust in God and just admit that they can't do this. This is too big for us. We run to God. And so after they take some time to pray. And by the way, this prayer had lasted for several verses. Uh, starting from verse 6 and went all the way to uh, verse 12. And then verse 13 is uh, mentioning everyone that's there. What we see here is is that God had stirred up a preacher who happened to be one of the children of Asaph, a Levite. And God had put his spirit upon this man to deliver a message from God to Jehoshaphat and to all of the children of Israel with what the children of Israel are supposed to do As they trust the Lord. And so, if you don't mind, I'd like to take the answer that is given and the reply of this, and we want to understand what it means to allow God to fight our battles for us. May we even tie it with our theme together. What does it mean to have the joy of the Lord as our strength as a practical, everyday thing? We'd learned today where do we get the joy of the Lord from? What does it mean now? As a practical thing to have the joy of the Lord as our strength. What does it mean to trust God to allow God to fight the battle for us? In fact, that's the very first thing I'd like to show you here is that God will fight the battle. God will fight the battle. Notice if you don't mind in verse number 15. It says, And he said, Hearken ye all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou king of Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid, nor be dismayed by the reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Here it is clearly stated, the battle's not yours, it's God's. So what is the commandment that is given? Notice this. Be not afraid nor dismayed. You understand this is a commandment. This isn't a suggestion. This isn't something that, you know, I hope that you're not afraid. I hope that you could just pick yourself up. This is a commandment. Be not afraid. You understand we don't have to live in fear. God has not given us the spirit of fear, the Bible tells us in the book of 1 Timothy. When we're under the spirit of fear, we are not trusting the Lord. It is a conscious choice to live in fear or to live in faith. Those two things cannot occupy the same thought process. You're either fearing the world, fearing the circumstances, or faithing in God. They cannot occupy the same thing. You trust God or you don't. You say that's too simple. Yes, we make things complicated. What we like to do is but, but, but. There is no but. Is God in charge? Is God on the throne? Yes or no? Can you trust him if he's on the throne? Yes or no. This is a commandment. That means there is a conscious decision not to be afraid nor be dismayed. That is a choice that you make. You say, but but I I get afraid. Yes. But you could trust God. Whatsoever a time I'm afraid, I will trust in thee, the Bible says. You can make a conscious choice. To set aside your fear. You know your emotions don't have to control you. You can make a conscious choice to say. No feelings. I'm trusting God. And your feelings will obey. If you are truly making a decision to follow after God. To trust in him. That God is in control. Now because we live in a feeling type society. That sounds so foreign to be able to say. No feelings. Stop it. But you can. You can. You don't have to have your feelings tell you what to do. In fact, notice with me in verse 16. Tomorrow go ye down against them, and behold, they shall be up at the cliff of Ziz, and ye shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness. You know, God knows where the enemy is at, and he knows what they're doing. God knows everything. You know, part of the reason why we are afraid is because we don't have all the information. We don't know what's going on. We don't know what's going to happen. And the fear of the unknown is one of the biggest fears. We don't know what the enemy is doing. We don't know what the enemy is going to do. We don't know what they're planning. But God does. Can you trust God? You said, but listen, what if the enemy does this? You know, God already knows what the enemy is going to do. And he still tells you, be not afraid nor dismayed. You know what that means? That God knows what the enemy is doing and he still has things handled. The enemy is not going to overwhelm God. The enemy is not going to surprise God. The enemy is not going to catch God unaware or napping. You may not have all the information, but God does. And you can trust him to fight the battle for you. God clearly says the battle is not yours. You have to believe that. You have to understand that. This is not my fight. This is God's fight. God could win it. All I have to do is allow him to be God. So here, this first part that God has given to them, that the battle is not yours, is the realization that God will fight the battle for you. And if you believe that, there should be a response to it. What is the response? That we allow him to to fight the battle for us, we trust him that we're not going to be afraid nor be dismayed. Now, I'm not saying that it's an absence of caring. It's not the idea that I don't care what happens. Whatever happens, happens. That's not what we're saying at all. But it's the idea, can you trust God? Can you trust that he is bigger than any problem or any situation you may face? God will fight the battle. What's the second idea that we find here? If we're going to allow God to fight the battle for us, if we're going to truly live with the moniker that the joy of the Lord is our strength, we understand that first of all, that God will fight the battle. Second thing that we understand is to stand still and let him fight. To stand still and let him fight. Notice with me in verse 17. Verse number 17. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. God says, I don't even, you don't even have to worry about fighting. I've got this taken care of. You're, You're not even needed here. What I do want you to do is set yourselves. That idea of set yourselves is to plant yourselves. To purposely ground yourself. Set yourselves and stand ye still. And see the salvation of the Lord. You know that phrase should sound familiar to you. Especially if you've been in our church for the last couple months. This is the exact phrase when God had the children of Israel outside of the Red Sea. The enemy was on their backside. And the, dead, or the Red Sea is on the other side. And what was God's commandment to them? Stand Ye still and see the salvation of the Lord. Did the message change? No. God has the same message to stand ye still and see the salvation of the Lord. God knows what He's doing. Notice He gives the commandment again fear not nor be dismayed. Notice the second time this is said again, fear not, nor be dismayed. For tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. When we come to this, God says, stand still. What he is saying in essence and what he repeats in a different part is to wait on God. Waiting is the is the ultimate form of worship. When you wait on God, it's not the idea that I cross my arms and tap my feet. Come on, God, come on. That's not waiting. Waiting on God is the idea that you let God be in control and you're going to let Him do His work. Waiting on Him. It's the ultimate form of worship. It shows you trust Him. Can you stand still? Now, this is important because God knows who we are. We're fixers. We've got to do something. I've got to do something. I've got to make it work. I've got to do something. God says, stand still. But I've got to help. Stand still. But, but you don't understand. I Stand still. Your planning is not going to help. Your scheming won't help. Your manipulating won't help. Your good ideas won't help. Stand still. That's hard. The only way you could stand still is if you trust that God is going to do it. You cannot stand still if you can't trust God. Well, I think God's going to get it mostly done, but I got to. No. It's either God or you. Do you trust him? If you do, you are able to take your hands off of it. And now it's hard. I understand. And say, God, you take care of it. The battle is not mine. It's yours. I'm standing still. I'm going to let you do it. You know, when you're worrying in the middle of the night... And I know you do. It's because you're scheming. You're planning. You're trying to figure out how to fix this. Over and over in your mind. You say, yeah, God, I'm trusting you. But in your mind, you're thinking about, what can I say? What can I do? How can I fix it? You know, when you're thinking of that over and over, it's because you're still in the doing phase. You're still in the helping phase. If you're not able to sleep at night because of a situation. It's because your hands aren't off. You're worrying about it because you're trying to figure out what to do about it. Again, I know this is hard. But God can be trusted. God's order to us is to stand still. Is he big enough to take it? Is he big enough to work on this? Is he big enough to fight our battles for us? Notice the response. So Jehoshaphat was just told, Stand still. Be not afraid. Do not fear. Nor be dismayed. You just stand still and you watch. You see the salvation of the Lord. This is your response. God is going to go with you. By the way, We could face anything as long as God's with us. As long as we know God is with us. God's going to handle this. God's going to fight the battle. I'm just going to watch him work. Notice in verse 18. What is Jehoshaphat's response? And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord worshiping the Lord. What is worshiping, by the way? Worship comes from an old English word of worthship. Worship is ascribing value. It is acknowledging what God is worth to us. That's what worship is. Worship is not about me. It's about the Lord. And with the response that God said, You stand still. You don't do anything. You get out of my way. Let me fight the battle for you. And you trust me. The response to that is Jehoshaphat fell and worshiped God. And he said, God, I do trust you. I do acknowledge you. You can take care of this. That was his response by faith saying, God, I trust you. Remember, the ultimate form of worship is waiting on God. I trust that God is able to get it accomplished My proof of that is that I'm waiting on him. I can trust him to get it across. He's going to get it done in his timing. I can trust him. My response then is to acknowledge him. But that's not all it is. Some people mistakenly say waiting on God just means that I just put my hands in my pocket and just kind of just wait. Well, let's see what the Bible has to say. Notice with me in verse 20. Verse twenty, and they rose up early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. As they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, "Hear me, O Judah, and inhab- ye inhabitants of Jerusalem! Believe in the Lord your God; so shall ye be established. Believe His prophets; so ye shall prosper." What's the next thing here? Truly that the joy of the Lord is our strength. What does that mean? How is that carried out practically? Well, that means that God is going to fight the battle for us. That means that we're to stand still and let God be God. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. What does it mean that we also have the joy of the Lord is our strength, that we're letting God fight the battle for us? It means that we believe God and the prophets. That's a way of saying you believe the Bible. And obey the Bible. This idea of belief here carries the idea to obey it. If you truly believe in God. If you believe that God is going to fight the battle for you. It doesn't mean, alright, well then that means I'm going to take a break. And you turn on the TV and kick back your feet and say, alright, well, I'm done. No, if you truly believe that God is going to fight the battle for you. that means you go find what the Bible says and you're going to obey it. Lord, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. I still could trust God. I could still be obedient to the things that He's given to me while I'm trusting Him to fight the battle. That is, we take care of His business, He takes care of our business. When we believe that God will be there, we'll be established. And will be stable. That's what it says here. Where Joseph said believe in the Lord your God so ye shall be established. That word means to be a stable. Uh, Like if we're going to establish a foundation. That means you plant it. You make it stable. It's something that you could stand upon. You're not moving. You're not tilting. That you're able to trust in God. You're stable. And when we believe in the Bible, we will prosper. God says, just believe in the Bible. Believe in the prophets. Do what it says. Do what you know that you should be doing. And follow after him. He'll take care of the fights for you. But we just obey the Bible. But then we come to the crux. How can I tell that I'm trusting in God? How can I tell that I'm waiting on God? How can I tell that I'm... I'm not trying to fight the battle for myself. How can I tell that I'm acknowledging who God is during this time? Well, notice this. Praise the Lord in song. Praise the Lord in song. Verse number 21. And when he had consulted, that's Jehoshaphat, had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord that they should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and to say praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever this is amazing normally whenever you have a military formation there is a structure to it you just don't put everyone in the mix what you do is you have the foot soldiers who up front the cannon fodder if you want to be crass about it Then you have artillery. You have the bowmen who are behind that. Because the bowmen need defenses because they're more long range. They have a shield of protection in front of them with the footmen. Then you have cavalry that's on the outside flanks. You don't want the cavalry that's in the middle because they can't get out. They have to be on the outside. So there's an order to it. But the one thing that you don't do if you're going to win the battle is put civilians in the front to lead the army. Does that make sense? I meant just thinking about warfare. But you know what Jehoshaphat did? They were so confident that God was going to win the battle that who did he place in the front ranks? Singers. And their job was to lead the army singing. Why? Because they were in no danger. They were trusting that God was going to fight the battle for them. And they were able to sing. In the waiting for God, a test to see if you're truly worshiping while you're waiting is can you sing? Can you sing? Can you sing? This is part of it. We're able to trust in God. And I'm able to sing praises to Him because I trust in Him looking unto him. There are so many references in the Bible dealing with waiting on God and singing to be able to look up to God in the hardest days and the darkest night to be able to sing. Whether it's Paul and Silas who's sitting in a jail cell. They've just been beaten. They've been arrested falsely. He's Doesn't know what's going to happen. It's in the middle of the night. And they sit him down in the darkest part of the dungeon. Put his chains. He's sitting in the muck and the mire. And at midnight you know what they do? They sing. They start singing praises to God. And they sing loudly so all the prison had heard them. And of course you know the story. That what happened is that God had opened up the jail cell. And release them all. But they didn't escape. And the Philippian jailer came and met with them. And said sirs what must I do to be saved? How can they say that? What what had happened? Well they were able to let God fight the battle for them. And because of that they saw the Philippian jailer and his entire household come to know Christ. Because they let God fight the battle for them. Instead of them getting bitter and mad and angry. They let God fight the battle. I don't know how it's going to work out. You take a Peter who's in jail with James. And what happened is that the Herod who was ruling there cut off the head of James. That'd be kind of concerning knowing that you're next. And so Peter, just trusting in God, you know what happened? He went to sleep. An angel had to come and kick him. Get up! We're going home. He was sleeping. How can you sleep when you know that you're next on the chopping block? Because I trust God. God knows what he's doing. He's able to sing. Can you sing? Some of you who've talked with me in the last couple of years and you're going through something, you may have heard me give you that thing. Can you sing? Why do I say that? Because I want to see where you're at. Are you able to trust God? Are you able to depend on God? Are you waiting on God? Are you expecting God to fight the battle for you? Can you? sing. So what happens? I mean, we've got the response of what we're supposed to do. Let God fight our battle. We have the response of what we're supposed to do is that we're supposed to stand still and let him fight us. We see the response. We're just supposed to believe what the Bible said and be obedient to the things that we know what we're supposed to do. We know the response we're supposed to sing. What happened? Was it a total rout? Was these three armies when they came, they saw the singers and they laughed at them and trounced them all? What happened? Well, let's see what happens when all of this is employed. Notice with me, if you don't mind, starting at verse number 22. And when they began to sing, and praise the Lord, uh, praise the Lord, set... uh, and to praise, comma, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Jerusalem, and they were smitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of, of Mount Seir, utterly to slay and destroy them. And when they made it into the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy another. So here's what happened. Um... <coughs> Jehoshaphat set the singers in front of the army and began to lead them to sing, Oh, victory in Jesus, my savior forever. And we can imagine the whole army began to sing with them. And as they began to sing, without them knowing what's going on, God says, I've got it. They're trusting me. I'm going to trust, do this over here. And just something happened. That you had three armies that are usually enemies with each other who've decided they're going to join forces to wipe out Judah. All of a sudden, one of them looked at the other one and said, Huh, you looking at me, punk? What? You think you're... And next thing you know, all three nations fought against each other. Instead of fighting against Jerusalem, they start stabbing each other. And by the time the singing army came to them, they're all dead. They killed each other. And they didn't have to lift a single finger to do it. Why? Why? God took care of it. You know how easy it was for God just to get them to turn on one another? They're already suspicious of each other. Could have been just some misunderstanding. And next thing you know, they're all sacking swords at each other. Some guy's probably the big hero and he's slashed up. And the last breath he comes, he wipes out the two Moabites. Then he falls down dead. But they're all gone. All the enemies that had been raised up to fight against Judah, to ju- destroy Jerusalem, They're all dead. And the children of Israel didn't do a single thing. It was all God. Notice what happens now. And Verse 24. And when Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked unto the multitude, and behold, they were dead bodies fallen to the earth, and none escaped. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil, that means they went around in the ancient world, or even today, That when they found the enemy army, they said, Well, let's just see what treasures, because you had a supply the army. You had to make sure that they had enough pay. You had to make sure that all those things are taken care of. And so when they went there, they, hey, look, here's the treasure wagons. Here's this. Look at this. Here's some food. Here's some things. Notice again, verse 25, and Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil of them. They found among the abundance both of riches with the dead bodies and precious jewels, which they stripped of themselves more than they can carry. And they were three days in gathering the spoil. It was so much. So here's the army of Judah. They come and go, wow, look at all this. And it took them three days to haul off all the stuff they found. So not only are they not destroyed, but God supplied for them in abundance. And they didn't do anything but trust God to depend upon him. He blessed them for their obedience. So instead of being worse off, they're better off than what they were before. Because they were able to trust God. They were able to depend upon him. Notice if you don't mind as we get to verse 26. And on the fourth day they assembled themselves in the valley of Baraka. Now here it's going to call this thing here. This word Baraka carries the idea of blessing. This is where God blessed us at. We waited on God. And this is where we received the blessings from. God had taken care of us. It says, for there they were blessed of the Lord. Therefore, the name of the same place was the valley of Bereka unto this day. This is where they said, God blessed us. And we're going to remember this. This is where God blessed us with. I trusted God. I was able to sing praises. I allowed him to fight the battle for me. And this is how God blessed me because I trust him. By the way, the book of uh, Psalms talks about this. That those that wait on the Lord will never... Be ashamed. You'll never regret waiting on God. Man, I should have never waited on God. Now look at me, I'm worse off. It can't be said. Now it may not turn out the way that you imagine, but God knows what's best. Can you trust Him? Can you trust Him? Can you sing? And so notices it goes on, and finally in verse 29. And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord fought against the enemies of Israel. You understand that God did this in such a way that no one could say, Man, those Israelites, those, they've got some great battles. I mean, they got some warriors. they got special forces. No, you know who got the credit for it? God did. Because Israel did nothing. Judah did nothing. They trusted in God. And God clearly wiped them out. God clearly caused the battle to be won. And all of the people said. You know what? There's something to that God. You know people watch us. And we go through the same problems they do. Remember being a Christian doesn't mean the absence of problems. What it does mean is that we handle problems differently. Can you trust God. The joy of the Lord is our strength. How can I tell if I'm trusting God? Can you sing? And so people watch as you have those problems. They watch as your tire goes flat. They watch as circumstances don't work for you. And they see how you respond How in the world can you be singing? How can you have joy? How can you have peace when all of this nonsense is happening around you? I see what's going on. If I was in your shoes, I'd be beside myself. If I was in your shoes, I didn't know what to do. If I was in your shoes, I'd be a wreck. How can you be so happy? How can you still sing? How can you still praise God? They watch you. Then when God comes through, They say, there's something to that. There, God, is real. You understand? When we talk about the joy of the Lord is our strength, it's not something that makes you feel better while the world beats up on you. When we say the joy of the Lord is our strength, we're allowing God to win the battle for us. We don't know how it's going to be won. We don't know all the circumstances. But we can be calm in a time where no one else is calm. We can have a peace that doesn't make sense when the world has no peace to offer. And when God comes through, the world will take note and say there's something to that. You understand God is at stake here. His name is at stake. Let me tell you, uh, someone who calls himself a Christian, who's always worrying and fretting and thinking the world's out to get them and that this is horrible. Who wants to serve their God? God loves to prove himself, and he wants to use us as evidence. He wants to use us as a display. Here's a group of people that believe that I am God and that there is none else. Here's a group of people that believe that God can. And how is it proven? By how they handle those circumstances. Do they have a peace? Where does the peace come from? Trusting in God, trusting in his word. How is it evidenced? Can you sing? Can you sing? God will fight the battle for you. You take your hands off of. This is what we mean by the joy of the Lord is your strength. Because God can be trusted. Let him fight the battle for you.